gospel jewels in Jeremiah. And for the last few Sundays, we've been in this little book, which is in the middle of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapters 30 to 33, which has got many gems in it. And it's called the Book of Consolation, the Book of Comforts. And we're not even looking at them chronologically. But this morning, I want us to look at a number of verses which are the New Covenants. They are repeated in the New Testament in the letter to the Hebrews. But if you've got a Bible, if you look at Jeremiah 31, verse 33. Jeremiah 31, 33. And then we'll read to verse 34. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. What wonderful words of comfort are those. And let us remember, as we noted last time, that these are songs not in the sunlight, but in the dark, in the night. That's the kind of God we have, the God who gives songs in the night. When things are not going well, maybe when it seems that everything is against us, then, like Jeremiah here, we can have a new vision of what God has done in the gospel. It is probable that Jeremiah was in prison during this point. And so these songs were given to him in a cell. And often some of the greatest statements in the Bible and in subsequent church history have come out from prison. Uh, Paul wrote some of his greatest letters when he was in prison. John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress when he was in Reading Jail. And what Spurgeon, I think, said, or Whitfield said of Bunyan, uh, could be said of Paul's letters, could be said of Jeremiah. They smell, they smell of the prison. Don't you like, sm I love smelling books. But if you smell these songs of consolation, they, they smell of suffering. Uh, now then, the new covenant. What's the gospel in terms of the new covenant? What's a covenant? A covenant is a contract, a solemn agreement. So when we have a wedding in church, a couple enter into a covenant with one another, a solemn agreement. And what we have here is a covenant between God and his people. Now, whether we like it or not, when we're born into this world, we are in a covenant with God. I mentioned to the children being in Adam's team, every person born in this world are under 
the covenant of works, we call it. So God said to Adam when he made him that if you obey me, you will inherit paradise. You will be truly blessed. If you don't obey me, dying, you will die. That's a covenant, an agreement, and it's an agreement based on works. And I haven't come across anybody apart from one man, Jesus Christ, who has obeyed that covenant of works. That's why all of us will one day have to die. And then God mentions here, we had it in our reading, another covenant, another agreement that he made when he delivered the children of Israel from Egypt. He made a covenant with them. And that covenant was full of grace. So there were symbols in that covenant of God forgiving people. So there were sacrifices. There was a priest, somebody to stand between us and God. So it was no longer works in one sense. It had a message of hope in it. But God said, you broke that covenant. There was nothing wrong with the covenant per se. It was the fault of the people breaking it again and again. And the problem was because it was all shadows. It didn't do people any good. The blood of a bull or a goat could never take away our sin. So that was inadequate. And that's why in Jeremiah's day, this calamity had come upon the people. They had broken the covenant of God and God had judged them. They were captive, a lot of them, in Babylon. Destruction was about to happen to Jerusalem. Jeremiah was in prison. It was all because of a broken covenant. So even the covenant, the old covenants, which you have in the Old Testament, which had signs, symbols of grace in it, it wasn't enough. It wasn't the real thing. But God promises here a new covenant. No longer symbols, no longer shadows, but substance, the real thing. Isn't that wonderful? The real thing. Have you come here this morning realizing you're not ready to die? That you need to be forgiven if you're going to go to heaven. We haven't got ceremonies here. Well, we've got two symbols left. Richard mentioned one of them, the Lord's Supper. But that's not looking forward. That's looking back to the real thing, the death of Jesus on the cross. So if you want to know what the gospel is, what's the New Testament all about? It's this new covenant. Incidentally, the word testament comes from covenants. And the word testament can also be translated will, the last will of a person. So when somebody dies and the will is read out afterwards, all the property of that person is bequeathed to others. And as a result of the death of Jesus Christ, there are new covenant blessings to you and to me. So this is what we want to look at this morning. 
Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. This is a new religion in one sense. There is nothing stale about Christianity. God forgive us if we give the impression that Christianity is something uh, that is not fresh. It's new. We've got new songs to sing. Now, what is Christianity? What is this new covenant? What's the New Testament all about? Again, if you've got a Bible, look at verse 31. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 34. They shall all know me. Jesus Christ. This is how he defined what Christianity is really all about. This is life eternal. To know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Listen, Christianity is about knowing God. That's the most awesome thing that can happen to a person. Knowing God. We're talking here about a personal knowledge. When I became a Christian, I began knowing God. I was given a book with the title, Knowing God. Have you read it? By Packer. It's well worth reading. And he talks at the start of that book about an university lecturer. He was lecturing in theology. And because he believed the Bible, he was not uh, being uh, promoted. Uh, he, he was being demoted. He was being cold-shouldered. Uh, he was being treated atrociously for simply believing the Bible. And he was walking with a colleague. It could have been Packer, the author. And this is what he said. It doesn't matter. Even though I've been treated like this. For I've known God. And they haven't. They haven't. But I've known God. Do you know God? Do you know God personally? This is what life is. The answer to life, the universe, and everything is not a number. It's this personal knowledge of our creator, God, and in Jesus Christ, our redeemer, God. One of the best statements here is the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The first question, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief purpose of humanity? Why have we been born? Why have we been put in this world? Man's chief end is to know God and enjoy him forever. There's nothing stale about that, is there? This is the most thrilling knowledge that one can ever have. Do you know him? Do you know him? You can know much about God. Now, there's nothing wrong teaching one another about God. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. There is nothing wrong for our children to be taught the Bible in Sunday school. There is nothing wrong for us to know this book from beginning to end. There is nothing wrong for us to know the doctrines that are taught in it. It's good. But there's all the difference in the world between knowing about a person, even knowing a great deal, and actually knowing that person. I'm going to let you into a secret here. I'm a big fan of Bob Dylan. I've got all 
of his albums. They fill a shelf and more. I've got them all. I've even got the bootlegs. I've bought every book I can about him, and believe me, that's a great deal. I've read them all. Not only have I got all his songs, I've listened to them again and again and again. And I even know many of the lyrics off by heart. There are some people who go even further than that. There are some people who've been to concerts. I've never been to a concert. There are some people, they won't just go to the occasional concert. They'll go to hundreds of concerts. They will spend their lifetime, their savings, going from one concert to the next. There are some people who go even further. It's possible to study a degree. That, 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 that's just typical these days, isn't it? To study a degree in Bob Dylan's songs. So if you think of a person who is a Dylanologist, big time, they know everything that they can about this person. But they don't know him. They don't know him. I wonder, is there somebody here this morning who knows a great deal about God? You know your Bible, you know your theology, but that's not the same as knowing him. Knowing God. This is what Christianity promises you and me. And look at the wonderful promise here. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. They shall all know me. They shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them. This has got nothing to do with intellectual ability. Aren't you glad? This has got nothing to do with our age. So a child in Sunday school can know God with the minimum of Bible knowledge. The most able British theologian was probably the great John Owen. John Owen, the Puritan. John Owen knew God. But Billy Bray, I think, knew God as much as John Owen. And Billy Bray was a poor Cornish miner who lived at the beginning of the last century. It's got nothing to do with intellectual ability. Again, there is nothing wrong with having theological knowledge. There is nothing wrong with having a degree in theology. But a person who knows God has an even better degree, a BA degree, a born-again degree. Do you have that? This is what Christianity is about. It's about knowing God. I'm moving out of the manse. So there is furniture that needs to be got rid of. There's furniture to be got rid of. This is what Spurgeon said about furniture. The religion you inherit from your parents or from your country or from your background, may be sold off with the old furniture of the house. That which man gives, man may take away, but that which the Holy Spirit implants, no one can remove. Is, is our knowledge about God, is it just something we've picked up because our parents 
uh, believers. So we know all the right answers. We may even be able to explain the gospel, but that's just second-hand knowledge. This knowing God is first-hand knowledge. It's not something that we can be persuaded out of. You know, if you have a person who is persuaded to become a Christian by clever arguments, all you need is for a more intelligent person to come along and to persuade them out of Christianity. This is not knowing about God. This is knowing Him. It's possible to know God. This is a heart knowledge. God says, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it upon their hearts. It's not just that we know God's commands. Uh, to our shame, we may not even know the Ten Commandments off by heart anymore. But it's more than that. It's having the desire in us to obey God. There was a lady, she was uh, talking to a person who didn't believe the Bible. And the person who didn't believe the Bible, they said this. Uh, they, they just said, I just, I just can't believe a supernatural truth. I, I just can't believe that Jesus walked on water. I just can't believe that iron floated on water. How, how can you believe the Bible to be true? And she said, it's not just that I believe it to be true. I love reading it. I love reading it. And the person said with amazement, how can that be? How can you love reading the Bible? And she said, perhaps it's because I know the author. That's the difference, isn't it? I was brought up in Sunday school, but I never enjoyed reading my Bible until I was truly saved and I got to know God. Do you know the author? Do you know the author? We're not talking here about a great deal of knowledge. It's just a glimpse sometimes, isn't it? Just a glimpse. Jesus said, he prayed, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and understanding and hast revealed them and to babes, and to babes. All the religious leaders, or many of them in Jesus' day, they knew a great deal about the Scriptures, but they didn't know God. And when God became a man and dwelt amongst them, they didn't feel any attraction to him. They were repelled by him. And instead, you had children you had the common people, you had the prostitutes and the tax collectors, they were all drawn to Jesus Christ. That's because God was working in their hearts and they knew God. They may not have had all the clever answers, but they had come to know God. Oh, I long for every one of us here to know God. That's Christianity. Uh, let me just read what Packer wrote in his famous book, we are perhaps sound evangelicals. Most of us here would say we are sound evangelicals. That's good. We can state the gospel clearly. We can smell heresy a mile away. 
yet, yet, goodness, joyfulness, unfetteredness of spirit, a freedom of spirit, which are the marks of those who have known God, are rarely seen amongst us. Oh, that we would know God. Oh, to know him. I just, I just want to tell you it's possible to know God. It's possible to have a personal relationship with God. Think of, of a person that you do know, not know about, not know a great deal about, like me with Dylan, but you know, you know. What do you do with that person? Well, you talk to them. Well, I hope you do. And they talk back to you. You walk with them. You enjoy their company. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. Uh, you know, when we don't know a person that well, we uh, need to say more, don't we? If you really know a person, you're comfortable with them. You just delight to be in their company. And that is possible between you and me and God. I will be their God and they shall be my people. He walks with me and I with him and talks with me and I with him along life's narrow way. So prayer isn't saying our prayers. It's talking to God just as a person is maybe thousands of miles away and it's possible to talk to that person. Yes, God is in heaven, yet we can talk to him as a real person. We don't just read our Bibles in order to tick off the daily reading for the day. We read it in order for God to talk back to us. It's a living book. That's why we love it so much. It's not just a book. It's a book of love letters between the one who loves our soul. And I know of no greater joy than to walk through this world, not alone, but having the company of Jesus Christ. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. Yes, Jeremiah might be in a prison cell, but that prison cell is a palace because he's got the king's company. And you and I can have the same. There is nothing like real Christianity, my friend. Now, let's look at something else. It's knowing God. But there's a problem, isn't there? There's a problem. God here ends this statement with a wonderful statement. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. There's a problem. We can't know God as we are. Amos put it well. He said, can two walk together except they be Agreed. Well, we're not in agreement with God. Just as Adam, who was obeying, and you remember that wonderful description of Adam in the Garden of Eden. He walked with God in the cool of the day. What a wonderful, wonderful life. But that didn't last. Adam fell, and we have fallen through him, and Adam rebelled and ran away from God. And that has been our story. And it is what you are doing this morning if you are not a true Christian. Somebody said, conscience makes cowards of us all. 
you may deny that you are not what the Bible says you are. You may deny that the Bible is just too negative, but there's something in you which says it's true, and that's the little voice of conscience. Man is appointed once to die, and after that the judgment. You know that. Your conscience is accusing you. You know you're not right with God by nature. You know that your sin will find you out one day. It doesn't matter how much we hide. God will uncover everything. And so when we begin to wake up to this, we realize, I can't know God. I will shrivel up in his presence. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He's of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. Gwyn Williams, who's gone to glory now, but he was a pastor here in Cardiff. He was my pastor for many years. Before that, he was a pastor in Sandfields in Aberavon. And he had a number of members who worked in the blast furnace. And I can remember Gwyn telling the accounts of those people having to go into the blast furnace. They couldn't go into the blast furnace by themselves. They had to wear protective gear. I think it was made of asbestos, which wouldn't have been that protective, would it? But they had to wear this protective gear in order to uh, keep safe. And it's like that with us. God is a consuming fire. Who can dwell with everlasting burnings? And if we try to just glibly get to know God, there are people, they just talk about God as if he's their next door neighbor. You can't talk about him like that. Indeed, somebody asked John Owen once about how they could get to know God. And John Owen asked them, do you know how? And the person said, glibly, yes, through a mediator. And Owen said, do you really know what that means? Do you really know? Have you been woken up spiritually to see that in me, that is to say my flesh, dwells no good thing and no impure thing can enter into the presence of God? And there are those two flaming swords barring the way to heaven. Can you say with Thomas Binney, Oh, how can I, whose native sphere is dark, whose mind is dim before the ineffable appear and on my naked spirit bear that uncreated beam. I can't know God. When I hear about the true and the living God, it condemns me, it condemns me. It makes me really uncomfortable. And when I think about death and so many people have died recently and the fact that I'm not right with God and that I'm not ready to die and that I don't know where I'm going to spend my eternity, then I feel like giving up in despair. And the old covenant is no good. The ceremonies are no good. Religion is no good. Oh, you hear some messages and it's just like being back in the Old Testament or back in the synagogue. I don't want religion. I don't want just to read my Bible. I don't want just to say my prayers. I don't want just to go through the religious motions. I need a person to stand between me and God. That's what God promises that's what this new covenant is. All those symbols in the old covenants, they are simply pointing forward to the one person 
there is one God, one God in heaven, holy, no access for us. And there is one mediator, praise God, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. A mediator is a person who's called in to reconcile two warring sides. And we are at war with God. God is righteously at war with us because we're sinners. And his justice needs to be honoured. But praise be to his name, he's provided a mediator in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful redemption. A man, a man, a man. There is a real man. He represents you and I perfectly. He never committed sin, but he empathizes with you. Whatever you're going through, he's representative of us. But at the same time, he's God fully, fully representing the Godhead, the second person of the Trinity. And 2,000 years ago, he came into this world, God becoming one of us. Whoever has seen me, Jesus says, has seen the Father. Praise be to God. We can look at God and live in the face of Jesus Christ. That's how you and I can know God. To carry on beneath him, there is a way. Not that we planned it. Listen to the words of the new covenant. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their hearts. Their sins and their iniquities, I will forgive and remember no more. This is all of God's doing. God, there is a way, opening a way for us sinful men and women to rise to that sublime abode of heaven there's an offering and a sacrifice a holy spirit energies and advocates with god a new covenant covenants testaments if the blessings of the will are to reach us the testator must have died and that's what's happened in the new covenants Jesus Christ came as a mediator. How did he bring a holy God and sinful humanity together? He brought us together by his death. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. He who knew no sin on the cross became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's how a holy God can forgive a sinner like you. It's because the sinless saviour died. My sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is now satisfied to look on him and pardon me. I was blessed a few weeks ago in our prayer meeting when Frank Mui talked about how God gave him a vision of communion because he didn't feel comfortable celebrating communion until he had this vision. And the vision he saw were the grapes from which we get the juice and the grapes being crushed. And as a result of the grapes being crushed, the blessings of the cup of communion come to us. This is the words of the communion. This is what Jesus said in the Last Supper. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What's the very crux of the new covenant? It's not just Christ being born, the man Christ Jesus, the Son of God, becoming a mediator. But it's on that cross, Jesus Christ being crushed, being crushed by the weight of your sins and mine. All the wrath of God being placed on him so that he was crushed 
and cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And as a result of that, bearing all our sins in his own body on the tree. In my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, hallelujah indeed. But he says something else. I will not just forgive, but I will remember them no more. I will remember them no more. Isn't that different to us? We can say to a person, I'll forgive you, but I won't forget. Have you had that said to you? And some people, they say they've forgiven you, but they'll still dredge things up, not just months or years back, but decades ago. They haven't forgotten. They haven't forgotten. But God isn't like that. God, because he's punished all of our sins in Jesus Christ, there is no more condemnation. Jesus Christ drank of the cup, the cup of the wrath of God, for you were sin and mine, and it was a bitter cup, and he drank it down to the last dregs, and there was no more drop left. Not one. Uh, Micah, this is even in the Old Testament. Micah said, who is a God like unto thee that pardons iniquity and passes by transgression, that sin? He retains not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities and look where he's placed them and cast them into the depths of the sea. And by that, they've been cast into the forgetfulness of God a perfect God a God who cannot lie says I will remember no more if God says that he will obey that there's no way that your sin can be discovered if they've been put on Christ there there, there, there is nowhere Paul says there is no more condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. No longer under the first Adam, but now under the last Adam, Christ. Who is he that condemns? Christ has died. We can condemn one another still, can't we? But Christ has died, and God won't condemn a soul that is leaning upon Jesus Christ. Um, I think Spurgeon understood modern technology. He put it like this. God will not recollect any one of your sins. They are gone clean out of the divine memory. If you think of a phone, if you think of a person maybe looking at things on their phone that they shouldn't, and then they try to delete, they try to erase their search history, they try to do all sorts of things to get rid of every trace of what they have looked at. But it's probably still there, isn't it? It's still there somewhere in the memory of the phone. But when Jesus Christ has dealt with our sins, when his blood has blotted them out, there is no trace left. There are no inundation marks. There is nothing. They've been completely wiped clean of the divine memory. The Lord looks upon the forgiven ones, as Spurgeon, as if he'd never sinned. Our debts are so fully paid by our Lord Jesus that there is not any account upon the file of omniscience, a God who knows everything, against any, any pardoned sinner. God himself cannot recall his people's sins, for he vows that he will remember them no more. Wonderful, wonderful. 
I just want to finish by asking you, where are you this morning? Are you still in Adam? Or are you in Christ? Are you in this new covenant? Are you in the covenant of works? Or are you in the new covenant? I mentioned at the start, marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. In the chapter that was read, God calls himself the husband of his people. A Christian is described as somebody married to Christ. We are the bride. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. How can I be married to Christ? I don't deserve it. Who does? No one deserves it. I didn't deserve it. When I first heard the invitation, I was running the other way. I didn't deserve it. But he invites us. He invites us. You know, when you have a wedding invitation, it says at the bottom, RSVP. What does that mean? Responde? Si vous play? Something like that? Uh, my French isn't very good. Responde, si vous play. Hearken, listen to his invitation, to the music of God's grace. Are you going to come to Jesus Christ? Are you going to admit that you're a sinner through and through? Are you going to realize that you can't save yourself and that he invites you? Come unto me, all that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And what's wonderful about this wedding is that those who are invited are going to be married. You don't have that happening in a wedding, do you? Those who are invited are to be married. Oh, may we come. Come, just as I am, of that free love. That free love. We bow the knee to Christ. It's not easy believism. We take him to be not just our saviour, but our Lord and our husband. And this new covenant is not broken by death. There is no till death has do part in it. It flourishes through death into eternity. Well, a new covenant, knowing God. It's possible to know God in Jesus Christ. Really, it's possible. And may every one of us here know him. Whom to know is life eternal.